Galatians 3. O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse for the scriptures say cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law so it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law for the scriptures say it's through faith that a righteous person has life this way of faith is very different from the way of law which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Jesus Christ, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. God gave the promises to Abraham and his child, and notice that Scripture doesn't say to his children, as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says, to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God has made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. For if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be true the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. 
God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. Now a mediator is helpful if more than one party which reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we would be made right with God by obeying it. But the scripture declares that we are all prisoners of sin, so we conceive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now the way of faith has come. We no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile slave or free, male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to come together to open up your word and to send it forth into the minds and hearts of the hearers and therefore into the world. And we thank you, Lord, for the work that you have done preparing our hearts and minds to receive this word. And I just pray, Lord, that you will help us to be mindful of your word, each and every word that, that we receive as a seed planted inside of us that can grow in this community. And we thank you, Lord, that you have the, the glory, the love, and the power to help us to see beyond the troubles and shortcomings of this world and to look toward you in hope and faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Thank you. And our children can be dismissed if they would like to be. They're also more than welcome to, to stay in here as well. Um, now, how many of you remember the Invasion of the Body Snatcher movies? There's, the first one came out in 1956. That sound told me someone remembered it. There's another one in 1978, and I think there's a few more remakes later on that weren't quite as good. But if it's been a while, or if you're unfamiliar, in this movie, there are these alien plant spores that kind of, these plants that fall down, you know, from someplace, and they land on the earth in this small town. And so what happens is they start to create these pods that show up, and they begin to slowly clone human beings that are nearby. And these clones, really, the person will fall asleep and disappear, and now they're just replaced with this clone who has all of their knowledge and their memories and looks like them and acts like them, except they're completely devoid of human emotion. 
So they look the same, but part of what has made them human has been stripped away and disappeared. And it's horrific to watch because it's one of the last things you'd want to experience, right? Is to wake up and suddenly everyone around you is no longer human anymore, but it still looks like it. Well, in chapter 3 of Galatians, this is what Paul is afraid that the Galatians have been body snatched. Not by alien seeds from outer space, but by legalism in the law. He's afraid that this legalism has destroyed what is supposed to make them Christian. And what happens to us as well when, when we fall into this legalism trap like the Galatians did? And I mean, what is the big deal? After all, isn't it a good thing to try and go above and beyond in our obedience? Shouldn't you pat me on the back, Pastor, instead of rebuking me? Well, the result and the problem of legalism and embracing the law instead of just the gospel really is horrific. It destroys the work of Christ and the Godhead. So this morning we're going to look at the dangers of legalism and the law or a legalistic gospel. I'm going to use the words legalism and the law kind of interchangeably. And so we'll look at Galatians 3 and really we're going to see three failures of the law and then we're going to see three ways that the Trinity responds to help us. Now why three? Well, the Trinity, so there's three. And if you haven't noticed, if you've been here a while, I tend to see the scripture in three points because um, I just can't get away from it no matter how much I try. But, so our first failure of legalism, if you are taking notes in your bulletin, um, is that the law or legalism makes us forget. That legalism makes us forget. Really, these first nine verses here in Galatians 3 are about the amnesia that is caused by trying to follow the law. And the Galatians have fallen into this kind of gospel amnesia. This is why Paul, in the beginning, asked them in verse 1, Phil, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's cast a spell on you? Asking, are you? Have you been hypnotized? What is going on? It's not like Paul really believes somebody has cast a sorcerous spell over them. That, that would be ridiculous. He's using rhetorical language to try and show what has happened to them. That, that legalism and following the law has caused them to act like zombies or alien pod people. Now the rest of verse 1 continues, says, it's before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Okay, it doesn't mean that Christ was crucified in Galatia. He doesn't mean that some of them were there and witnessed it and saw it. What he means is that all of the preaching that you guys have heard has all been about how Jesus died on the cross. You haven't heard anything other than that. It is centered on the cross. Over and over and over again, Paul has preached Christ and Christ crucified. And so he asked, but well, the problem with legalism is that legalism forgets the cross. It forgets the purpose of the cross. Verse 2, this is why he asked, let me ask you this, but how did you receive the Holy Spirit? By works of the law or by hearing with faith? So legalism doesn't just make us forget the cross, it also makes us forget how we got saved and where the Holy Spirit came in the first place. Paul is saying, let's rewind the clock. Remember when you first got saved at that moment, when you felt the Holy Spirit come into your life and regenerate you. How and why did He come? Did the Holy Spirit come because you kept a list of rules? Did He come because it was your reward for really good behavior? Is the Holy Spirit like a piece of candy that you give a child or a doggy treat after they do a trick? Or did the Holy Spirit come because you put your faith in Jesus Christ? The answer should be obvious to them and to us, right? None of us have received the Holy Spirit. None of them received the Holy Spirit after they got circumcised or after making sacrifices at the temple. They received the Holy Spirit after believing in God 
who died on the cross for them, for their sins. But it implies something, not just about the salvation, but it also implies something about the future of our faith. Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by faith? So I say, okay, well, do you think you got saved by faith and received the Holy Spirit? So now that everything's been because of faith, now you're on your own. Now you've got to do it by works. Do you think that the Holy Spirit didn't actually come to live inside the temple of your body in order to help you? What foolishness. Verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you, does he do this by works of the law or by hearing through faith? Saying, is there a formula to receive miracles? On what basis did Jesus heal people? Or what basis did the apostles themselves work miracles? Did they say, oh, bless you, child, you've kept the law perfectly, so now you're going to get some healing. Since you were a child, you, you've done great, and you've never disobeyed, so now I'm going to take your leprosy away. Congratulations. Did, Lazarus declare, or did Jesus tell Lazarus, Lazarus, you're going to get the resurrection because never once did you wear clothes with mixed fabrics. So come on out. No. Repeatedly, they would say, your faith has made you well. Or in the case of Lazarus, it's grace. It's not work. So if all of that has happened, how foolish is it to think that in order to be righteous, we really need to embrace the law of Moses or we need to embrace legalism and go above and beyond what God has commanded? How can, you, how can we grow in faith and be more like Jesus? Well, the same way we embrace Jesus in the first place, by faith and faith alone. Legalism causes us to forget not just faith, but it causes us to forget Abraham. Paul has to go and give the Galatians a history lesson. He says, well, hey guys, do you remember how Abraham got declared righteous? How was he justified before God? Verse 6, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, or he was justified. Abraham was way before the law was given to Moses. He couldn't follow any of those rules, even if he wanted to. But before Abraham was even circumcised, before Abraham did anything other than believe, it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, that's true as Abraham, it's true of us today as well. Verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons and daughters of Abraham. It is not the Jews, it is not the earthly descendants of Abraham's seed, it is not those who keep the law, those of faith who are the sons and daughters of Abraham. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are a child of Abraham by faith and faith alone. And this has always been the plan. This is not new. This is not switching gears. This isn't God changing his mind. Verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand. He preached the gospel to Abraham saying, in you all the nations will be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed among Abraham, the man of faith. The plan has always been a plan of faith. The Gentiles are saved, and they're not saved differently than Abraham. They're not saved differently than the Israelites before them. They are saved in the same exact way, by faith. So legalism, it makes us forget the cross, our salvation, our history, the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit reminds us. So legalism makes us forget, but the Holy Spirit helps us to remember.
Part of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right, is to remind us of what we forget. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, 26, he says, well, you know, I'm leaving and the Holy Spirit will come and he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That wasn't just for the disciples then. This is still what Jesus, the Holy Spirit does today. He brings to our remembrance what we have forgotten because of our sin. This is what he is currently, this is what he does. Hopefully this is what he is doing right now in this room. As he works through me and through our hearing of the word of God to remind us of what Jesus and Paul said. The spirit reminds us, hey, Christ died because the law couldn't save you. The Spirit reminds us that Jesus had to come because the law could not empower you. The Spirit reminds us how God has always worked from Abraham to now. And we need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We cannot forget how we got saved in the first place. Our great obedience didn't earn us anything. The only thing our obedience got us was condemnation before God because of our sinfulness. And our great obedience now is not going to make God love us any more than he did on that day that Christ died on the cross to save you. So legalism causes us to forget, but it doesn't stop there. It actually does worse. And our second failure of it, legalism then curses us. Legalism curses us. This is what Paul says in verse 10. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. So when you rely on the law, when you rely on legalism, when you think if you do enough good things, then you'll be a Christian. If you think you do enough good things, then you can go to heaven. Or if you think you do good enough things, then God will really love me. When you operate and you rely that way on your own works, you are under a curse. Now, how are you under a curse? That sounds extreme, Pastor. Let's look at the rest of verse 10. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So when you embrace the law, when you embrace legalism and works, when you decide you're going to follow them, what happens is as soon as you fail, you're cursed. Because you can't follow it all. And this is actually, it's a quote from Deuteronomy 27, 26, and it reminds Israel, Israel, unless you keep the law perfectly, at all times, in every way, do everything it commands, you will fall under the curse. And the only way to avoid the curse is to be perfect, which no one can accomplish. This is why in verse 11, now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. It's evident because no one can do it. Not you, not me, human beings. We can't even keep our own laws, right? And I don't just mean the laws of the state or the government, which almost all of us violate. But I mean that we can't even keep the laws that we put up for ourselves, Right? We can't even keep our cultural laws. So our two most popular cultural laws are, you know, be true to yourself and don't hurt others. Okay, but those two laws, even those compete with each other. It sounds freeing, but instead it's actually a law that puts you under the curse and under bondage. Because no one can just be true to themselves all of the time, whatever even that means. Right? Because we change our minds from one day to the next. Well, am I supposed to be true to myself today or am I supposed to be true to myself with who I wished I was yesterday before I woke up in a bad mood? Are we supposed to be true to what I wish that I could be or who I actually am now? Many of you don't buy that, that argument. Well, the moment that you fail to be true to yourself, in every moment at all the time, you are now cursed. You've fallen under it. You can't perfectly follow it and there's no way out. Even the freedom 
that the world promises you that you can find outside of Jesus is just a curse. It's a legalism by another name. Freedom of self, it's just another set of chains for your soul. And whether legalism curses us, what Jesus actually does is Christ becomes the curse for us. Christ becomes the curse for us. Verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us by the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus himself, he takes the curse upon himself that all of us deserve in order to redeem us. In order to save us from the curse. But, but how does he become a cursed? Right? Well, it, it isn't through the same way that, that we become cursed. It's not through failing to keep the law because he was perfect. It doesn't come through sin, because unlike all of us, Jesus lived perfectly all of the time. He did exactly the right thing, in exactly the right way, at the right time, all of the time. Verse 13, so that tells us how. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus became a curse for us on the cross. By dying that death. Maybe you've wondered in the past. Or maybe, maybe you thought it and asked it. And maybe you were too scared to. Well why did Jesus have to die on a cross? Aren't there a lot of other ways that he could have died? Seems like not a good way to go. I would definitely pick something different if I had options. Well this verse here is part of the answer. Part of the reason being hung on that tree was not just a way that Jesus fulfilled the passages and the prophecies that were written thousands of years before he came. But he died on that tree to bear the curse in his own body for you and for me. He couldn't have died another way. This was the way he had to. And through the curse of Christ that he takes upon himself, we are blessed in verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus... The blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, which is all of us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus reverses the curse and he turns it into a blessing for you and for me. Because before we're under the curse of God, but now we get the blessing of Abraham. And the blessing that goes to Gentiles like me and like you and our children. And now we can receive the promised spirit through faith. Now we get the blessing of the Holy Spirit who comes and who lives in our very bodies. And it's a blessing. It's a blessing that Abraham never got to see. It's a blessing that he never experienced. And we get this blessing through faith. Now the question is, well, how do we apply this truth? Well, the answer is all of us need to stop submitting to the curse of the law. Stop submitting to the law. Stop submitting to legalism because it does not work. For those of you who are not believers here, you need to give up. Stop trying to be good enough. Stop trying to be yourself enough. All of your efforts leave you cursed. Instead, put your faith in Jesus. He took the curse so that you don't have to. Stop trying to earn your salvation. Just take the salvation that Christ offers. All you have to do is admit that you're a sinner who is cursed and in need of salvation. Ask Christ for forgiveness. Give your life to him and find freedom. And Christians, our application is not much different. We too need to stop submitting to the curse. We need to stop allowing ourselves to fall back under legalism, to fall back under that curse. Stop living as if Christ died for no purpose. We heard last week. Jesus died because we could not be perfect. So don't seek perfection. Seek Jesus and Jesus alone through faith.
So if the law makes us forget and then it curses us, well, why did we have the law in the first place? That may be a good question. Why did God give Moses the law? Shouldn't he have done something different? Couldn't we have just skipped over it? You know, got, so we don't fall into these legal, this legalistic trap all these years later? Well, the answer is no. And so our third point here is that the law babysat us. Or legalism, it babysat us. Legalism in the law was always meant to be temporary. Okay, it wasn't meant to be a permanent fixture in our lives. It was meant to be our incredibly temporary babysitter. So I'm using babysitter to try and show like the temporary nature of this. Okay, for many of you with young children, or for those of you who haven't, it might have been a while since you've needed a babysitter, right? But we all kind of know how it works. It's a temporary arrangement. Someone comes to watch your kids so that the parents or the parent can get away and have a few hours by themselves. Maybe enjoy a meal where they get to eat themselves before, you know, feeding the child every single thing before their dinner gets cold. But usually in the beginning, right, especially with really little kids, they don't really like having a babysitter very much. Usually cry as soon as they come in the room or realize mom and dad are walking away. And you have to comfort them. You say things like, this is just temporary. I just need an hour. Please. You know, I'm coming back tomorrow morning. You're going to go to bed in 10 minutes, and when you wake up, I'll be here. It's just a babysitter, please. Babysitter is never meant to be permanent, right? And it's the same thing with the law. The rest of the chapter, okay, 15 through 29, this whole, it can be a little confusing to follow at first. So I'm trying to give you the gist of it right up front. In verse 24, he says, So the law was our guardian until Christ came. The law of Moses, it was always meant to be temporary. It was just watching over God's people until Jesus showed up to set us free. Verse 25, but now faith has come. We don't, we're no longer under a guardian. We don't need the law. We don't need a guardian. We don't need our babysitter because Jesus came home to get us and to set us free. Now, this word guardian, what does it mean? Well, the Greek word, you know, it's paedagogos, which is where we get our word pedagogy from. It's a kind of guardian or a teacher. Um, so it's something that's actually a little more intense than a babysitter, but I just chose to use that language anyway. I'm trying to, to drive home how temporary this arrangement is supposed to be. This guardian was something that wealthy families would employ, typically for their oldest son and the heir. So they wouldn't recognize him as the heir of the, the fortune or the household yet. They would treat him like a normal child and he would have these guardians over him who would instruct him on what he needed to know and what it was expected of him and how he should act and live. But when he grew up and he came of age, these guardians go away. Task is done. Don't need them anymore. Serves the same thing with the law. The law served a purpose. It was meant to teach us what holiness requires and meant to teach us how sinful we are. The law is like our training wheels till we, as we wait for Jesus. But now that grace and faith have come, we don't need the law anymore. And our returning to legalism today, it is as foolish as asking for a guardian again after you finally got rid of them. What child would do that? Well, we might ask, why in the world did we have this guardian in the first place anyway? Well, Paul's gone to all these lengths to explain why Abraham was saved by faith and not the law. So some would say, well, maybe God changed his mind with Moses. He wanted to, you know, get a new plan. Well, Abraham got saved by faith, but now Moses needs to get saved by works. That's what Paul's kind of addressing in 15 through 22 is this objection. And he uses an example of a man-made covenant in verse 15. No one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Okay, Brianna and I, we just kind of refinanced our house. 
So we had to go down to the abstract, we had to get a babysitter, and then we had to go down to the abstract office, and we had to sign an obscene amount of paperwork, right? Over and over, sign here and sign here, and kind of here, let me explain to you what it is, but you don't have time to read it, but just keep signing more of these things. But you know what they're not gonna let me do in a couple days? Okay, they're not gonna let me take those and write some stuff in the margin and say, you know what, this is actually what I think our agreement should be now. It can't be changed. If I can just write in and go change, you know, some white out and say, you know, I'd like my interest payment to be a little different. I'm going to lower this number here. You say, no, 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 no. This has been annulled and signed and ratified. It cannot be changed. These words here are, are set in stone. And just like that document can't be changed, God's promises to Abraham cannot be changed. This is in verse 15 and 16 when he mentions the promises made. He says, this is what I mean, the law... The law to Moses, which came 430 years afterward, it doesn't change. It does not annul the covenant previously. It doesn't change a word that I said and promised to Abraham. The law doesn't change the terms of the agreement. God signed it and he ratified it himself. You can read about it in Genesis 15. He even says, Abraham, don't you worry about this. I'm passing through it, this covenant twice. I'm doing this. You can't even come and do an agreement with me. This is my promise to you. And the salvation that was promised to Abraham through the offspring, which in verse 16, and to your offspring, who is Christ. What does all of it mean? It means God's already signed all the documents. Uh, God's already promised that salvation and eternal blessing, it was coming through Christ and Christ alone, and nothing afterwards would change it. It was written there, and it was in the fine print, even though Abraham and even Moses might not have caught it or understood what God was doing. Yes, God gave the law, but law does not bring salvation. Well, the question, well, why bother with the law anyway? This is the question in verse 19. Why then the law? You go, yes, thanks, Paul. That was my question. Why then the law? Well, the answer is it was added because of transgressions. Until the offspring being Christ, who should come to whom the promise has been made? Well, why did God give the law? The same reason every single law ever has been created, because of sinfulness. Right, have you ever read any of those bizarre or strange older laws? And you wonder why in the world did somebody get together and they wrote this and then senators sat around and they argued about it and then they signed this bill and made this law? But one of them I found in Oklahoma, it states that it is illegal to participate in any bear wrestling exhibition or a horse tripping event. So my condolences if you were really hoping in participating in bear wrestling or horse tripping today. Um, those are illegal. Well, how did that happen? Apparently, there was a problem somewhere in Oklahoma at some point where there's a lot of bear wrestling and there's a lot of horse tripping events going on, and it got out of hand. And so we had to start a law because of these transgressions. Right? As a parent of, of young kids, I frequently finding myself adding laws because of transgressions, laws I never thought that I would have had to say before. Calvin, please don't kill your brother. No, Calvin, you can't have fire in your room. Okay, there, there, these things happen, right? Because of transgressions, I have to say what I didn't think I had to say before. I thought this was understood, that we don't just kill our brothers. But apparently, I have to say this now. Right? On a more, much more serious level, this is why the law was given, because of our transgressions. We had to be told what we're not supposed to do because we weren't living by faith and obedience. Every single law God gave was for this purpose. But again, it was meant to be temporary until the offspring should come to whom the promises are made, which means until Jesus comes. 
And the mention of angels and the intermediaries in 19 and 20, I think that's talking about the angels, right, giving the law to Moses there. But the law, again, it's just meant to be our babysitter because we are so sinful, we cannot be left alone. But we're going to destroy the house. We could not be left alone while we waited for Christ to come. So what does the law offer other than a means of salvation? Well, some try to argue, well, the Jews earned their salvation through the law, but now we get our salvation by grace. Verse 21 addresses this. You know, certainly is the law contrary to the promises of God, which means doesn't the law save one way and like Jesus saves a different way? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, that could give salvation, then righteousness would be by the law. If it was possible to get salvation through the law, we wouldn't need grace, we wouldn't need Jesus, and we should all embrace the law of Moses and legalism and go above and beyond all the time everywhere because that's how we can get it. But the Jews didn't earn salvation through the law. They earned it through the promise. They demonstrated their faith in the promise through obedience to the law, but they didn't earn it through the law. If salvation could have been earned that way, Christ never would have had to come because his life, his death, and the resurrection would have been totally unnecessary and superfluous. You don't need it. Just stop sinning and obey. No, well, we, we can't stop sinning and we can't obey, and that's why Jesus came. And so Jesus came and he made a new covenant, a new agreement that he signed and he ratified it with his very blood and with his broken body. We don't have to follow the law. We just have to put our faith in Christ. Verse 22, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that by the, prom or the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The promise of salvation we receive through belief in Christ, period, the end. Legalism in the law is just our babysitters. But... Our second point here is that God the Father adopts us. That God the Father adopts us. In verse 25 and 27, But now, now that faith has come, you are no longer under a guardian. You don't have a babysitter anymore. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. Faith has come, and part of what Jesus accomplished was our adoption as sons and daughters into the family of God. We have been brought into his family. This is one of my favorite pictures of the gospel that Paul gives us repeatedly, that we have been adopted. We have been recognized as full members of God's family. We don't need a guardian. We don't need the law. It's like you don't need a babysitter when your parents come home. This is where verse 27 comes in. For as many of you were baptized into Christ and have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. This verse has so much application, but it means we are all a part of the same family now. If you've been baptized, you're in the family of God. If you've put your faith in Jesus and if you've put on Christ, you are in his family and we are all equal here. Verse 29, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and you are heirs according to the promise. If you put your faith in Jesus, God the Father has adopted you into his family. And all of us in this room who have done so are children of Abraham by faith 
and faith alone. So in summary, the failure of legalism, it makes us forget the gospel, but the Holy Spirit reminds us of the truth. The law curses us, but then Jesus became the curse for us. The law babysat us temporarily, but God the Father came and adopted us and brought us home. And because all of this is true, man, we need to avoid legalism and just embrace the gospel. Beloved, stop trying to earn the love of God. God loves you. He's adopted you into his family. When you go back to extra biblical legalistic rules that you're just trying to earn salvation or you're trying to earn his love or you're trying to feel good enough so maybe God will like me more today if I just do this extra one thing. If you try to do that after you've been adopted, it's foolish. You don't have to do anything. This is part of what adoption means. Once you've been adopted, there's no going back. You can't get sent back home. When someone's ratified the covenant, there is no annulling it. You've been brought into the family of God by faith. And no matter what you do, you will not get kicked out. Simply rest in the love of God. Close us in prayer and invite our worship team to come back up and lead us in worship one more time. God, I thank you for your incredible grace. Lord, I thank you for the way that the entire Trinity and Godhead is involved in our salvation and involved in our lives even now in this moment, that we can only pray guided and empowered by the words of the Holy Spirit and we only get access to petition God the Father because of the blood of Jesus Christ on the Son and because of His blood and because He is our mediator, You, the Father on the throne, who have adopted us, listen to our prayers and our petitions. Lord, we thank you for the incredible grace that you show us. Lord, we ask that you, God the Father, by the blood of Jesus, would empower us by the Holy Spirit to just live in light of your love and to live a life of faith and faith alone. Lord, aid us and help us. We fall into this legalistic trap all the time, daily, sometimes multiple times a day. Lord, would you help us and set us free? Do not let us forget what you have taught us, not just this morning, but every day of our lives in your word. Remind us that we are children of you through faith and faith alone. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we worship our Savior in song one more time. Nothing, nothing but the blood. Hear this benediction over you bought by the blood of Jesus. Now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you. Go in peace.